0: Hi, I'm Olivia Wilde, director of Booksmart, and let's watch the movie together. So this voiceover is actually Maya Rudolph, and she did this for us as a favor, and I was very excited. She she had fun with it, and we wanted her to do a kind of Tony Robbins-slash-Oprah impression, and she was so perfectly kind of calming And then as it takes a turn, she becomes fierce and incredibly intense, which is exactly what we wanted. Everyone who's ever doubted you, (laughs) fuck those losers. Fuck them in their stupid fucking faces. And then this is supposed to be a mouth guard, like Molly has to meditate with a mouth guard because she's that intense. So this actually wasn't originally the beginning of the film, but once I saw how the girls would greet each other in real life with these dance moves, I decided this had to be how Molly and Amy were introduced. And I love how their dance styles perfectly represent their personalities and how they're different from each other. And I love a non-verbal way of showing chemistry. (laughs) Chemistry so much. Ah, oh, makes me so happy that little body roll. I don't think we are. No, nope, originally this was a scene that had a lot of dialogue. It was supposed to be the girls in this car driving to school, talking about the year. But once I saw them dance, I knew we didn't really need any dialogue. We just needed to watch them move. That's actually visual effects. We changed that in post. And that skater there really did terrify Caitlin. That was a real flinch. So so in this kind of sequence, I just wanted to show how, you know, as book smart as they are, they quite literally can barely walk down a hallway without running into people. They kind of have to plow through school in order to survive. And here they are seeing their principal, Jordan Brown, played by Jason Sudeikis. And this scene, we really wanted to show that the girls are so fiercely ambitious in their academic experience, that they're even a burden to the people who would typically really appreciate that level of ambition. And he's just so exhausted after four years of dealing with this intensity that he can barely handle them. <laughs> I loved having the girls side by side in the doorway like this. I love that, you know, they choose to stand as close to each other as possible. In the dance, that, that little pop to Nick was something that we did in post. I just wanted there to be a flash to this kid that would allow we, the audience, to misjudge him immediately as kind of a meathead. And here they are, even being shut out, even by the principal. <laughs> so I love this opportunity to show in an almost anthropological way how Amy perceives the world around her, and how they kind of observe everyone while being themselves largely invisible. They can't even understand how other kind of quote-unquote normal kids interact. They're able to be so effortless in their flirtation. So Jessica Williams, playing Miss Fine is herself a, an incredibly cool, smart woman. And if she were my English teacher in high school, I would have been equally obsessed with her. But what I love is that, although all the kids love her, she loves the most intelligent of the bunch. She appreciates how hard these ladies work. She just wants them to also have some fun. And there's Triple A, played by Molly Gordon. She is incredibly confident and as we find out, also incredibly intelligent. And this is George and Alan, Noah Galvin and Austin Crute, and Diana Silvers playing Hope. This was a scene where we introduced most of our ensemble, which made it incredibly difficult to edit because we wanted to give everyone a moment. Here's Eduardo Franco playing Theo. But we wanted to make it feel... kind of keep the pace up, but make it feel smooth and allow the audience to to meet all these characters that they're later going to fall madly in love with, such as Skyler played, sorry, Jared played by Skylar Gisondo. And this moment here is one of my favorites. He's an extraordinary improviser, as they all are, but this moment here really made me laugh. <laughs> so there's Hope withering in her critiques, as always, and Jared being able to kind of rub it off. He doesn't He's not affected by anybody's judgment, which we, which we love about him. That look that Beanie gave Skylar in that shot really just blew me away. It was a little hint of something to come. And here are the theater kings. They're both the kings and the queens. Introducing the concept of Shakespeare in the parking lot, which was writer Katie Silberman's brilliant idea, which made me laugh so hard. It's actually funny. It's what we did in my summer program last year in Barcelona when I lived in. So that Noah Galvin is in real life a theater master. He always has been. He's a professional Broadway actor and he really had fun kind of poking fun at the theater world and the Barcelona thing is something we all recognize from the kids who took a year abroad or even a semester or week abroad. They make your own tampons. That's gross. <laughs> So here's where we were planting information that Amy is going away for what Molly believes to be the summer. And of course, we find out later that's not the entire truth. And here is the rivalry between Molly and George, truly between Molly and everyone. And what the first 10 of the movie is doing is establishing her kind of adversarial relationship to everyone in the school, except her ride-or-die, Amy, who loves her so intensely, as you can see in this look coming up right here. This look of adoration and respect right here just really breaks my heart. So here we have the kind of classic high school lunch scene where everyone is able to kick back and relax confidently. And Molly's plowing through it with a true intensity that she really can't turn off. It's her way of protecting herself, but... Here, I wanted to show that Nick quite literally won't ever look at her. He doesn't see her. This is a story about people learning to see each other. And in the beginning, no one looks at these girls and, and, and they, they don't really understand how to connect. Although Amy's trying desperately to understand how. Uh, she's watching Ryan. In this sequence, that makes me so happy, Victoria Ruesca playing Ryan is a professional skateboarder. And it was so fun to capture these skating moments because she can do anything. And I got to you know tap into my dreams of being just a, a skateboard video director because it was a really fun chance to show her skills. And of course we could only use a sliver of it, but that's footage I really, really love. And here's Amy heading into the fray. That's Discovery playing right now, which is a band we feature heavily on the soundtrack and they're excellent. So here's some, some pretty elegantly laid exposition on behalf of our screenwriter, Katie Silberman. The concept of Nick's party is introduced here. And we understand that the reason Amy eventually agrees to go on the adventure to find Nick's is because of this moment right here, the promise of connecting with Ryan. That moment of, of Nico Huraga playing Tanner blasting through on his board is in there because I always feel when I'm around skateboarders I'm this really kind of awkward, nerdy, clunky person who's always running into some smooth sn- skateboarder. <laughs> so that was Amy in that moment. And here we have the chance to really listen in on on a conversation between the girls for the first time where they talk about what Molly wants for Amy. And we see how well they know each other here. This is a bit of improv that the girls were very good at not breaking, but I have to say, this is one scene where Caitlyn Deaver could not stop breaking, and we kept a little bit of it there. You saw her smirk, uh, which she didn't do on purpose, but I had to keep because she's just, it's so delightful to watch them being delighted by each other. And this is a scene I love because it's establishing a close relationship between people who identify differently in terms of sexuality, but they really couldn't be closer. We also introduce the idea that somebody always gets arrested, which we assume will not be one of our heroines. We assume it will be Nick, which was a little fun misdirect. There's going to be a, girl. Dude. Is not a thing. This scissoring conversation was something that I really loved watching them play with. So here is Gigi, played by Billy Lord, and it's truly an iconic performance by an iconic actress. Here comes the 1%. one And this is a hood mount shot that I was very excited about. I kind of had a moment at the end of this scene to throw the camera on the hood and get this high-speed shot, which of course allows for this dramatic, slow-mo, almost kind of badass music video entrance for Billy. And that song is Money by LaKaley47, which was a perfect accompaniment to Gigi. Gigi just keeps Jared around for when she needs a So we're witnessing two kind of couplings of best friends. There's Jared and Gigi who are as close and loyal to one another as Molly and Amy. But at this point, the two haven't really been able to see or understand each other as, as humans as we kind of as often happens in high school. We also see here another moment of Jared really trying hard to connect with Molly. This was a chance to watch Skyler and Billy just play. I let them improvise on that car for a long time, and it was just so much fun. I was laughing so hard. Here's one of my favorite moments. The You're Ugly grammatically incorrect graffiti was something that I I just loved. I mean, what a, what a perfectly classic way to describe who Molly is as a character. And that came from location scouting this high school, San, San Fernando High. And I saw that somebody had written You're Ugly, with the incorrect uh, use of the apostrophe. And I was like, whoops, that's in the movie. I sent a picture of it to our screenwriter, Katie, and I was like, we have to use this. So here we see the gender-neutral bathroom, which is pretty familiar to a lot of kids these days, but certainly wasn't the case when I was in high school. And one thing that would be tricky about it would be this kind of situation where there's a group of guys and girls outside your stall potentially talking about you, making it incredibly awkward and kind of terrifying. We all remember this feeling. This is introducing the idea of Molly being as tough as she is, also affected by the opinions of others. What I love is that they're not critiquing appearance, which is so common in high school films. They're really critiquing her kind of intensity which she embraces. And you see here, she has a moment where she says, yeah, you're right, I'm brilliant, I'm intense, it doesn't bother me, I like my choices. What she doesn't expect is that they will tell her they too are really intelligent and she's kind of misjudged them in a very simplified way. Profiles and commendations from the governor, so you guys- I love Beanie's performance here, it's so strong. And that little look from Molly Gordon is just perfectly telling. That uh, penis drawn on the wall has, is a visual effect because it kept jumping all over every time Tanner drew the penis, it moved. So we had to eventually spend some money creating some consistency of the of the drawing. And here is really what sets the movie off. Here's the information that blows Molly's mind. Triple A, whom she has assumed to be really dumb, turns out to be brilliant, as does Tanner and Theo. And we see that, you know, we assume that the nerdy girls are the ones being judged unfairly. But this scene is about how she has judged them unfairly. And her kind of vision of the world of being on the defensive is actually kind of turned upside down. She's misunderstood everyone else. How did they possibly have fun and do well in school? It can't be true. What's funny is that Molly Gordon and Beanie Feldstein are best friends in real life. So these are two people who love each other intensely, playing adversaries, and they just had a lot of fun with the scene. You know, we just don't only care about. School. I mean, they're basically like sisters in real life. So this was this was fun for them, in a kind of twisted way. <laughs> I love this little moment. After you. After you. So this was a moment to play with kind of an illustration of what Molly's mental breakdown looks and feels like. She hears Maya's voice bringing back her, her mantra, which doesn't seem to have worked. And here's our Hitchcock push in, which I was I was adamant about getting, and I'm really happy we did. The sound design here is really important because we're kind of sensing that everything's falling apart. The stakes are very, very high. And there we see Hope doesn't really engage. It's what sets her apart. And this really sends Molly over the top. Gigi's going to Harvard. (laughs) The one who we assume to be the most frivolous is actually the most intelligent and special. Okay, here's Nico Horaga on the skateboard. I couldn't ask a normal actor to do this, but because he's a professional skateboarder, I was able to say, hey, hop on this board, grab this fire extinguisher, and go. And he was like, sure, man. It was great, except the camera operators were panicked that the fire extinguisher was going to ruin the cameras. And here, I just set everybody free. I said, have fun, go nuts. This is about a senior prank where they fill condoms with water and pelt them at each other and just destroy the school. Of course, that condom hit the camera, which was pretty funny. This was a chance to just blast music in this hallway and send the actors into it just frenzy, and that is shot at 2,000 frames per second to really achieve that intensity of the water balloon hit, which was a lot of fun for us, but not so fun for Beanie. (laughs) Poor thing, she's a trooper. In this moment, something fun to know is, Caitlin Deaver is a a musician in real life, and she plays the auto harp. And once I found that out, I said, can you bring it? Can you incorporate that into the scene? And she wrote that little piece with Katie Silberman right before we shot. And I love it, I love that little song. So here's where our plan is hatched. And something that's so extraordinary about these actors is that they don't make it sound or feel like exposition. It feels entirely organic. And I really, really love that about them. We see the difference in, in their sort of states of mind. There's Amy is willing to sort of stay in this place where they are. She's not feeling particularly driven to prove anything to anyone. Molly's the one whose worldview has been kind of broken. And she needs them to prove their multidimensionality. Otherwise, we're just going to be the girls that missed out. We haven't done anything. This is the first scene they shot together. And it's an incredible amount of dialogue to capture on your first scene or your first day. And of course, they nailed it. That's yes. <laughs> you broke art rules. Name the person who broke a real rule. Rosa Parks. Name another one. That's an exchange. that's a really good example of how great these actresses' timing is. They they just both have amazing timing, very sharp. Here we see that Molly has a very different plan ahead of her which is planting a seed for a later conflict, of course. Core of the United States. In my case. This was a scene we originally planned to be uh, set at golden hour with everything with a really kind of Terrence Malicky sort of golden hue. And we got there, and it was the one cloudy day I had seen in L.A. And I was mad, but now actually I'm happy because... It seems to reflect the kind of an emotional state of the characters. We end the movie at golden hour, but we begin in this kind of colder place. Here, you can hear some a great piece of score by Dan the Automator, which I really, really love. You feel that it's heading somewhere exciting. This is the beginning of the journey. So in this moment, Beanie threw the cake and actually did think she hurt someone with the plate, which is why she flinches that way. They were very worried they hurt the kid playing basketball below the, the hill. <laughs> so this is one of my favorite moments. This is the one of the compliment offs, which is something we're very proud of. The idea is they complement each other so intensely that it's almost an insult that's actually an expression of their love. They love each other so intensely that they have to kind of <laughs> it almost sounds like they're they're insulting each other. It's very specific to their styles and I just love it so much. What I also love is that this is a a kind of classic getting-ready montage, which in a normal teen movie would be about them trying on clothes to look good. And instead, for these girls, it's about them preparing for for the threat of violence on a night out. And then here we get to see them hanging out as friends do. We see the familiarity that Molly feels towards this space. She has her own drawers. That's her bed. She spends all her time here, which we gather has to do a little bit with her home life and how Amy's basically a sister to her. Can we just stop talking about this? little elephant? Now they're talking about masturbation, which is something that I was really adamant that we have in the movie to show that this is this is what girls talk about and it's often relegated to kind of male-centric films. But we wanted to show that, of course, girls talk about this as they should, without shame. Quick cue is a very Beanie Feldstein uh, phrase, which we absolutely embraced for Molly. Mm -mm. Tell you about how she's in danger. No! (laughs) That little roar. I think this is one of the best uh, examples of Beanie's brilliance. That's also a pretty close close up, and she couldn't be more beautiful not hard actresses to shoot. Everything about you. I think it's healthy for a relationship to have secrets and now we have one. And this is again planting a seed of future conflict. Of course there's a secret between them that Amy at this point can't share. <laughs> this UTI joke was one of my favorite jokes in the script. Horrible UTI. Horrible. Like <laughs> horrible. I wish that would have been a secret but you've mentioned it many many times that bedroom designed by production designer Katie Byron is so layered it's incredibly detailed and I love that sign on the door it says a room of one's own which is of course Virginia Woolf I've never lied to my parents before you know when I lie I just had too many this is one shot I call this my Hannah and her sisters shot because I really feel like they look like they're in an 80s Woody Allen movie in those coats and the beret (laughs) and it's the, the the panicked conversation before walking into a dining room feels very Woody as well. Honestly, it's surprising that Doug and Charmaine are supportive, considering their whole Jesus thing. It's nice. Charmaine, get to the safe room. Yay. We're being so busy. Beanie Feldstein and Caitlin Dever were the only pair I could see as Molly and Amy, and I really knew they would have perfect chemistry. But I I got lucky with that that I was right. But they're both genius genius actresses that are going to have massive careers. But seeing them together was incredible because they complement each other's styles in perfect ways. They do very different things, but it works very well together. They also happen to be the same height, which doesn't seem like an important factor, but actually worked out very well for us in the way that we wanted to frame them together as much as possible until later in the film when we separate them. So here we have Will Forte and Lisa Kudrow uh, in these cameos that I was just thrilled that they were willing to do, and they just are brilliant. Here is Will (laughs) improvising puns that go with the food that he's prepared for his daughter for a meal that he really wanted her to stay there for. The guilt trip, the dad guilt trip, which I love so much. And here's Lisa, the understanding mom, Charmaine, I love Lisa and Will together so much. We have, like, an hour of footage of them improvising, and I really want them to do Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf on Broadway because they are a perfect pair. (laughs) It's really, it's like Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton have nothing on Forte and Kudrow. So this is the girls having a lot of fun. You can see them breaking a little bit, which I loved because they were just making each other laugh so hard with this little moment. They also are both obsessed with Lisa Kudrow. So they were freaking out for this entire scene. That house is in Studio City. Very sweet little house, which I picked because it's very different from Molly's apartment building. You see such good friends often come from such different backgrounds. And here we are. This is footage the actors actually shot themselves on iPhones. I would give them iPhones and say, just please go shoot stuff that feels real. Just have fun with it. Shoot party stuff, play stuff, jokes, and we have four hours of it, as you can imagine. And this, you know, the idea of kids today living with social media and the FOMO that that must cause, they are so aware of the fun that's happening at the party that they cannot find. We've never hung out with any of these people outside of academic activities. They probably that milk, by the way, really made me happy when Nico Haraga... Basically, <laughs> poured an entire gallon of milk on himself without even take, missing a beat. Just happy to do it. I think I do. Who are you calling? Don't worry about it, chica. What? April Napier is our costume designer, and she uh, is the one who came up with the idea of the Rosie the Riveter jumpsuits. I had asked for one of them to be in jumpsuits, but she tried them on both of them and then decided they should both wear them. And I love that because... So often that happens by accident with your best friend, which is exactly what happens with them, but they embrace it. No one is forced to change. And I love that it's iconic immediately. They really embrace this kind of almost utilitarian approach to going out to party. And the outfits really reflect that. Here is Skylar Gisondo playing Jared post-school in his outfit, his going-out outfit, which we kind of pulled from the idea of like the supreme vibe of very expensive streetwear that he hopes will afford him a certain amount of popularity and approval. I actually really love his outfit. I would wear Skylar's outfit. <laughs> so here we have Cheryl Sandberg allowed us to use the audio version of "Lean In" for this. Amazing joke that really makes me laugh. That he's trying to show them he's he is this male ally feminist. There's the fuckboy plate based on our screenwriter and producer Kitty Silberman's family dog that they named fuckboy. Sorry about that. Also hey, fuck jams. We're terrible. What? No, she's no girlfriend for me. Too many ladies want to lock this down. They don't have the code. <laughs> this is a scene where I really am happy with the way it turned out because we actually had to cut out a section of this because of time. There used to be a fantasy sequence for Amy's Amy's fantasy where she looked out the window and saw Ryan basically having sex with a man-sized panda in a car next to them and we had to cut it for time, but I'm happy that we were able to smooth it out editorially. And here we are, introducing the idea of what they assume to be drugs. This car, in the very, very early version of the script, this car, um, before, before I came on board, this car was a, a Hummer. And I said, I just can't have, I can't look at a Hummer. I don't want to be in a Hummer. And so I have a real passion for classic cars, and we found this Firebird, and it, we put flames on it. And it's just, it's a really funky old car. Um, I think it's a 67? These girls memorized their lines in Mandarin. I am so impressed. They had a coach on set who said it was perfect, and of course, I, I couldn't tell, so I kept looking at the coach saying, are they nailing it? And she was blown away. She said, they really are. Woo, came in a little hot there. That's my bad, but we are here. What do we do? do, we do? Don't move, don't here. <laughs> this moment. So that was Handsome Boy Modeling School playing on the radio there, which is a a great band I was very happy to have on the soundtrack. One of my favorite scenes for Jared coming up here, the boat scene, the party that that wasn't. We were shooting this in Marina del Rey in Los Angeles, and we chose that because we really wanted to show the kind of epic odyssey the characters go on. They go, If you know L.A., they go from the valley to the marina to kind of mid-city L.A. through Hollywood and back to the valley all To find this, this party that actually was very close to where they started. To Prepare to Get Consensually Bashed is another Katie Silberman special, which I love so much. Very timely. I mean, there's lots of dialogue peppered in here that we wanted to be kind of timestamps of the world we're living in now and, and reflective of what kind of language young people are speaking right now. This is our loving call out to Sasha Obama. Thank you. We still don't have the address to Nick's someone on board might know so there, there were several moments in the film where we had to show them kind of deciding to continue with the journey okay yeah mm-hmm. it always made me think of blues brothers with the continued decision to keep moving we're on a mission from god we're on a mission from god and here it's we're on a mission to find next party we have to find information they're they're on a mission to gather to find the address and they're willing to kind of throw themselves into uncomfortable situations in order to, to do so. Here, this is, Jared has put his own face on everything, including gift bags that contain an iPad, which really made me laugh. This is another example of production designer Katie Byron's genius. This boat looked very different in, in uh, before we got to it, and we cleared it out. I just wanted it to feel as sad and empty as possible. Someone who really expected this to be a rager and instead has literally four people at his party. Billy Lord is wearing this headpiece that I wanted to kind of be reminiscent reminiscent of Hedy uh, Lamar. It's it's this kind of nod to old Hollywood which comes up a few times in the film and of specifically sort of honoring oh, God, like Billy's legacy. Uh, I think I'm in love with you. I don't think you are. You're coming with me. I love, you know, actors who are always working. I mean, look at Skylar back there just dancing in the background keeping it alive. So this was a scene that was an an interesting challenge to cut. We wanted to kind of, you know, we've, we've separated the girls for the first time now. She's upstairs, Molly's downstairs, and we really wanted to keep them connected through the power of editing. Keep the pace up and keep the two journeys happening very connected. This was something that Skylar was not prepared for. When we got to the set that day, we were supposed to have a a background performer playing the DJ, and it wasn't going to be featured very closely. And I said, you know what? This is too tempting. Skylar, can you pretend to be kind of working these turntables? And they just ran with it, and he, he didn't even flinch. He put on that helmet, and he's like, oh, yeah, I got this. And this turned into a really touching moment. It's very revealing about Jared's kind of loneliness and his the family that he's grown up with People can sense it, it turns them off. and of course this connects them. They both feel like they're trying hard to be loved, which of course later kind of brings them together. That's Ben Harris, one of our casting directors, playing the waiter. <laughs> as soon as I got high, I just cried about the fact that one day my mom will die. So this is one of my favorite Billy Lord moments. I lost my virginity in what I thought was a park, but it turned out to be a graveyard, and now the ghost spirits live inside my eggs, waiting to be reborn. It's not at all. The non-sequiturs that are so passionate, she really believes they're bonding. We see evidence that the character, Billy, is easy... I mean, Billy's character of Gigi is easy to misunderstand as just being kind of a wild woman, but she's incredibly loyal, kind of violently loyal. <laughs> And this is—we really wanted to show that Gigi is unpredictable in a way that really throws the girls off. She—it's t- always insanity and chaos when Gigi's around, particularly when she's willing to leap off a 45-foot yacht. That's a stunt woman who uh, did this incredibly brave leap. Billy wanted to do it, but of course, I didn't, I didn't let her. Some fun visual effect fireworks there. Oh my God, so oh. Now, this is a moment where we see the kind of um, the first moment of conflict between the girls where Amy doesn't want to continue. We see Molly use the Malala tool to make sure she continues on this journey. But this was a challenging moment for you know for for us as a production for the script to continue to to move forward on the journey, even when they keep hitting these these kind of obstacles. That is a stunt man diving into a pool off a balcony, which was terrifying. My score is very low. I'm much too abrasive. Much too abrasive with the drivers really makes me laugh. It's so perfectly Molly. So here's the Malala moment. Malala. And Caitlin's performance there just couldn't be better. She understands the significance of Malala. Malala. Wow. You know you only get like one. And we loved that, you know, the fact that the girls use Malala points to kind of their their level of um, intelligence and engagement with the world. That they understand that Malala is the kind of pinnacle of of uh, respect, and that. She's kind of a superhero that they use as a code word for devotion and loyalty and support. This is a moment where, of course, their Lyft driver is revealed to be the principal that they detest. He's stuck with them, they're stuck with him. They're trapped. And yet there's that instinct to try to be polite and deferential to your superior, but it's it's all just very, very awkward. I really wanted these chilly lights inside the lift so that it would look like you know this guy jordan brown he really wants to be the party lift in my mind he used to be a dj before he became a principal and he just wants to be the fun guy and so he puts a bunch of chili lights in his lift which would out to be very difficult in terms of the visual effect of the comps for driving <laughs> but it was worth it our colorist alex bickle really figured out how to make these lights glow in a beautiful way Now, Jason's one of the best improvisers on earth, and he improvised a huge amount of this, including this description of the novel he's writing, which really made us laugh. Katie and I were just kind of buckled over at the monitor, howling, laughing. (laughs) It was fun also to see the actresses observing kind of a veteran improviser and just watch their awe at he just as he continued to come up with material and they were just really really delighted by it i love that little psycho look he gives (laughs) to the mirror so working with jason was great because we've improvised together on stage at ucb or second city but i've never directed him before and it was really fun to see how he just kind of takes a tiny bit of information and rolls with it. And he was just making everybody laugh so hard. And it was difficult stuff because he's pretending to drive. They're actually on a soundstage. It's all green screen. And he was the best uh, fake driver that we had. Everyone was very impressed. And he was just a great example for the girls of just kind of rolling with it and taking the opportunity of a scene and turning it into something much, much more. So this is the Sully joke. (laughs) we love so much. Of course, Sully being the pilot who successfully saved the lives of over 100 people landing a plane in the Hudson River. And we love that the kind of references that the girls throw out are so kind of beyond their years using, you know, references like Ken Burns, Malala, Sully Sullenberger. (laughs) It really made us laugh are European trafficking victims. Excuse me, ma'am, are you judging other people's sexual preferences? And here's a, another example of, of, of kind of the, the language being so specific to the film and specific to these characters, that they talk about sex positivity and feminism and pornography in terms of kind of education and empowerment, and I just haven't seen that from, from teenage characters before, and it feels really reflective of Gen Z and the way that they kind of move through the world, so... I was really proud of the scene. It's for educational- I also love that moment where Caitlin puts the ear pod in Beanie's ear. Such a loving little gesture. Mm-hmm. So this was a, a choice not to show the porn because the girls were so good. It, they're so Their expressions are so evocative of what they're watching. We kind of didn't need to, to cut to the porn. We can imagine we kind of project the worst version of pornography onto what's on that screen. And there's Caitlin pretending to be sweating, which really, really just makes me laugh. And that little moment with the chargers. And it's all about the details that we we think really make up what, what makes this texture of this film really work. There's just so many layers to everything. But the idea is to not make that too apparent, of course, but here is the porn. We purposefully picked... Whatever would be the most horrifying porn you could you could imagine. And, um, Katie Silberman found this one. She, she dug this one up for us, and it's just the perfect choice. She really nailed it. Really nailed it. <laughs> was that Cardi B? Uh, of course, that was Jason improvising. And it's really fun to hear the reaction in a theater. Everybody laughs very hard. So this house is a house where we actually went to a real immersive theater party here, this kind of weird theatrical experience called The Willows. And it really inspired this scene and the production design within this scene. I forced Katie Byron, our production designer, to come with me to The Willows so she could study. Uh, It is a a very kind of weird and specific experience, but I love that this is exactly the party that George and Alan would want to throw. This was one of our first days of shooting, and it was incredibly difficult work. So many quick pivots and moves, and it was, you know, a mixture of grounded performance and broad, and they're all nailing it. That's Austin Crute wearing drag for the first time, and he really just looks beautiful, and I think he felt really good. He just rocked those heels. I love this moment. I only know sorrow and grief. You're at a 10. Austin Crute was graduating from NYU while we shot this and he had to send a paper to his professor the night we were shooting this, so in between every shot he was off to the side finishing a term paper and we were all rooting for him to graduate, which he did. So inside these packets are actually real character descriptions that Katie Silberman wrote which was just incredible. I mean, the level of detail on on the part of every single department head, from producer, screenwriter, down through everyone in the art department, it was a lot of love that made the experience just much, much more interesting. I think maybe the mayor? Go, immerse yourselves. Review your histories in the parlor. And this is Noah Galvin just being brilliant. And and Billy Lord, in this moment, we wanted the reveal to be kind of the introduction of Gigi as a magical creature who can kind of teleport herself through time and space in an impossible way, but we all know a girl like that. Erin, I can see you breathing. Gigi. This is, I have to say, I mean, there's so many examples of, of how beautiful the cinematography is in this film, but Jason McCormick, our cinematographer, really nailed the kind of different textures of the scene. That little girl, I have to say, that's... that's uh, that's my goddaughter, that's Bluesy Burke, and I'm really proud of her, <laughs> that she's in the movie. But Jason McCormick really understood that we wanted to create a comedy that had a style that made it feel specific and elevated, and we wanted to introduce all these different environments stylistically. The theater party, the boat party, nick's party, school, graduation, they all have a different texture. We're shooting, you know, in 2-4 anamorphic, and it's not typically how comedies are shot but i was influenced you know by comedy directors who find a way to to create that balance between style and no, material no. you know you think about the coen brothers they don't sacrifice the comedy for the style but it's so specific and they're kind of unafraid of that choice so i was really inspired by them fantastic what do you mean this shot is lit by that single bulb and nothing else which you know, I think a lot of cinematographers shooting a comedy would kind of balk at and instead Jason McCormick couldn't have been more supportive of the idea of, yeah, let's light it with one bulb, why not? Make it moody. There's Caitlin starting to melt down. This is a, I have to say, Noah Galvin improvised with that statue for 40 minutes and I wish I could have it all in the movie. So here we're approaching a scene which was one of our biggest swings we we took uh, in terms of, you know, kind of out-of-the-box, tonal departures that we wanted to to have throughout the film, and the Barbie trip is one that I've been dreaming about creating for several years, and I'm really happy that (laughs) we actually got it in the movie. It was the work of several artists over about six months. A team out of Portland called Shadow Machine, who created the the stop-motion animation, built the puppets, That bell. I wish we could have kept that bell going for another minute. It's so funny. So here we are. We had to shoot this in two different pieces because everything you see that's um, stop motion is shot in Portland and everything that doesn't involve the stop motion is in Los Angeles. So this was the interweaving of several different people's hard work. And the idea behind the sequence is what is the worst possible bad trip? Nightmare for two ardent young feminists. It's that they would become the physical manifestation of the patriarchy of objectification. They'd become these kind of big-breasted, impossibly skinny creatures that young girls are exposed to from the youngest of ages. And what is that telling us? What's the kind of messaging we're perpetuating through the idea of, you know, Barbie dolls? So in Molly and Amy's worst nightmare, they become those images and the only thing that could make that worse is if one of them started to actually like it, which is, of course, what happens to Amy. Put your heel in my hole is a Katie Silberman line that I will never forget. <laughs> no, it was funny. When we were creating these dolls, I knew I wanted them to be kind of extreme versions of the of the Barbie-like doll, so I needed really ridiculously tiny waist and immovable knees and long skinny legs and big, big boobs. And the the puppet creators were like, who is this lady? I kept saying, like, bigger boobs, bigger. <laughs> because we needed it to make our point, of course. Now, the girls are actually recording this dialogue largely on their phones, because we kept rewriting the scene. So they were sending me dialogue from their kind of respective locations and we used a lot of iPhone recording for this which is pretty amazing i give it up to apple for sound quality on iphone recordings this was as you can imagine pretty hard to animate this sequence here took several several weeks <laughs> just love it <laughs> So this was our way of tying in the experience of the bad trip with reality, that they would still be kind of coming down off the drugs and would still be very stiff. She's supposed to be the orthodontist. And I mean, this is it's a comedy of errors kind of sequence, which really was the intention. And I, I think these actors are just so incredible that they pulled it off effortlessly. And it brings us to this moment where the kind of momentum slows uh, long enough for us to have a conversation that ends up being very revealing about Beanie's character. Dude, nothing has gone according to plan tonight. Which is why we have to stick to the plan. Let's call another lip. Why are you being so... So this was a scene that was actually interesting. We, Katie and I ended up rewriting this scene on the day, which was pretty thrilling actually it was kind of it's a, it's a memory that I'll kind of cherish because when you're under the gun and you have to solve problems very quickly on on set it's kind of a a, a thrill if you have a a screenwriter like Katie with you but we were able to kind of tighten the scene and make it really uh illustrate exactly what we wanted to about the friendship between the girls and the devotion the love between them and the insecurities that that molly is is harboring another great Gigi moment just the magical kind of like she looks like glenda the good witch just popping up everywhere just thrilling i love her so much so here, this, this scene was really about Amy telling Molly, there's nothing you could tell me that would make me judge you. There's nothing about you that, that could be wrong. So it's fine. Your your deepest, darkest kind of insecurity to me is, is really fine and actually kind of beautiful. And it's part of the reason I love you. So that's the point behind this scene. And this is inspired by all the kind of female friendships that I've had in my life. I've had, you know, the... Blessing of having a lot of really good friends who always remind me of my value in my lowest moments, and that's really what it's all about. I really Beanie Feldstein's performance here is is pretty magical. She refuses to let her guard down, even with Amy, which shows us that she's she's hardened to her to a pretty deep place, and she's had to be that way. She's this is a defense mechanism. <laughs> so that's a real slap. Because it's very hard to make a fake slap look real. So I had to tell Caitlin, you got to hit her once. Wasn't too hard. Wasn't too hard. We sweetened up the sound. It wasn't actually that sharp. That was inspired by a friend of mine who once, when I was pretty low on myself, she said, I'm sorry, have you met you? And I thought, what a loving thing to say to a friend. So that's what I was thinking about as we shot this. If Nick's what you want, then that's what you deserve and it's just a really loving moment without ever allowing it to get too saccharine. And of course now at this point we have to pick up the momentum again. We don't allow ourselves to slow down for too long, ever. We know this is a moving train. This movie should feel like a fast drive with lots of interesting turns. That slow-mo walking shot through the library is one of my favorites. And I just love the juxtaposition between the environment and their attitude. Most people don't associate the, the library with kind of badass action heroes, and yet it's exactly what it feels like to them. You know, incorporating the social media footage into the rest of the film was an interesting challenge. We went through several different versions of how we would do that. We settled on the kind of the most timeless, simple version of how to bring in the iPhone videos. This is a, uh, a Steadicam shot that I really feel proud of. Chris Harhoff, our operator, just nailed this perfectly. And it involved, you know, uh, choreographing uh, several non actors who were actually pizza chefs back there that were very uh, just lovely and sweet to allow us to choreograph some fun pizza movement. To- Create this one shot. This is Mike O'Brien playing Pizza Pat. He is an incredible writer, um, SNL alum, Second City alum, just UC- UCB. I mean, really just a well known comedy kind of legend. And this scene is one of our favorites. The hair masks, something created by Katie Silberman, is something that I am very happy to see a lot of uh, young women emulating and showing on social media already which is just just great oh God. Are you guys the idea of creating a mask with your own hair is just something i would, have never seen and it they look like little chewbaccas it's really great and you just willingly got in the car of a strange man do you guys have a weapon the hair mask is something that Katie came up with and she knew right away this was the right idea. We, it actually came from an original idea that they would be in actual masks that, um, you know, that at the theater party it would be kind of a sleep no more vibe. It would be sort of an eyes wide shut masked party so that they would still have the masks. And once we lost the masks from that scene, which I think was the right choice, Katie replaced the physical masks with with the hair masks, and it was just an example of a great solve that adds to something even funnier than what you had before and and creates this this kind of iconic, specific, and original look that I'm so proud of. So this was planting the information that there might be something kind of off about Pizza Pat. Why does he know so many details about how he would actually kidnap them? (laughs) And of course, that pays out later. So they're on a mission, and they're willing to take great risks in order to find this information. But again, you know, they're not the greatest criminals, as he points out, because they don't have a weapon, and this wasn't very well thought through. But it works. He gives them the address. They do get lucky. The kindness of strangers prevents any real danger. I'm just I think this is another example of just Beanie Feldstein's incredible kind of physical comedy mixed with intelligence and knowledge of exactly what the scene is about. And Caitlin Deaver always creating texture to a scene, always doing something that takes it up a notch. Yeah, why not? Oh, I'm being sarcastic! Get the fuck out of oh, my okay. car! Thank you
1: so much. Don't trust this me. is
0: another use of the Discovery track that kind of becomes our our cue that things are moving forward. This is handheld footage. I tried to use handheld whenever we needed to kind of reflect a certain kind of kinetic energy and excitement or chaos. So this is Jason McCormick our DP actually operating handheld, which he's very very good at, and I love how this turned out with the beautiful pink and green light of the of the Lido's pizza sign and this strange little neon lit strip mall that's so iconically L.A. to me. Also a bit of an homage in my mind to the scene in Clueless where Cher is held up in the strip mall. This idea that L.A. kids find themselves in these strip malls in the middle of the valley and need rides. They desperately need a ride. It's a real pizza place. Great pizza. They were very kind to let us shoot there. By the way, this is 4 a.m. that we're shooting this. The girls have limitless energy. That Daisy's nail sign is a little um, nod to my daughter Daisy. It's kind of fun. So this is a moment where we really wanted to create a kind of all is lost lull, and then introduce Miss Fine as the hero that saves them. And that just iconic moment of her stepping out and saving them. It's it's something that felt worthy of this Jurassic Five needle drop. She couldn't be more, she couldn't be cooler, she couldn't be more kind of powerful within their lives and their story. But they cannot decide who could sit shotgun, so they both have to sit in the back, which made us laugh so hard. Okay, wait, so what is this address I'm taking you to? It's Nick
1: Hellen's- You know, the
0: challenge in a movie that has a lot of car rides is not to make it feel redundant or slow. So this was, um, you know, a a process of figuring out how to make it feel like we're continuing to move forward and and the the cars are, you know, part of a a story that is very much L.A. centric, where a lot of life happens in cars, but also just to show them kind of learning something from each cameo, each person who comes into their life, each adult teaches them something. It was sort of a Wizard of Oz structure that, you know, each... uh, friend that Dorothy makes teaches her something about herself and here's what's, you know Miss Fine is is the scarecrow teaching them about courage she says don't be like me go for it go for it now or else you'll regret it later that mango go go joke really made me laugh Jessica Williams is of course a comedian and uh, she came up with that and really just just flattened me I love it so much I love the idea that they, they it never occurred to them that it was a problem that they were ma- wearing matching jumpsuits. I just love, I love this two shot. I love what's happening on both their faces. M- Molly couldn't be more kind of disappointed that, that Miss Fine disapproves of their look. And yet it leads to this opportunity to touch and in fact wear her clothing, which is, of course overwhelming so here they are they finally made it to their destination this house is in encino it's a incredible kind of architectural gem and i was really really lucky to be able to shoot here another example of the compliment off that you know if miss fine doesn't stop this they would go on for hours there's nothing that makes them happier shiny. Can you fetch me an inhaler? Because I can't <laughs> um, breathe. my eyes. I'm physically ow, unable ow, ow, my Just an aggressive amount of love for each other. A party to get to. So there's a moment they truly don't believe that that Miss Fine would ever come inside. But she's kind of testing the waters to see how weird would it be? Could I go in? Technically, I was invited by Theo, okay. So in the background, you hear a Santi Gold track. Look at these hoes, which I love because of the the drum intro, building this anticipation. The girls are finally at the doors of doors of Oz. You know, they have reached their destination, but they're terrified. They have no idea if they'll be, you know, shooed out of the house immediately, or what will be greeting them inside. They have no reason to believe that they'll be greeted warmly, but they've made it. And it's kind of everything they dreamed it would be. Now, this is a sequence that I'm very, 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 very proud of. The idea behind this was to show that for all her kind of intensity and and for for all her defense mechanisms, Molly's actually the most romantic character in the film. She dreams of Nick sweeping her off her feet. And here we get to see exactly what that feels like to her. And it was about creating this kind of visceral connection to Molly in a way that Amy doesn't even know her, but the audience is peeking into how she really feels about him. And I wanted to create this kind of iconic 1940s Hollywood sweeping dance number that's inspired by Singing in the Rain and the Gene kelly Sid Charisse dance number that is, of course, iconic and, and fantastical. And this is one shot on Steadicam. It is choreographed by Dina Thompson. And Chris Harhoff, who's operating here, had to effectively be one of the dancers in order to move smoothly between them and capture this in one. The lighting design is cued by the choreography itself. Dan the Automator created that incredible score to go along with that. That's actually my breath on top of the track, which was a pretty funny thing to record. And there she is, she snapped out of it. Amy doesn't even know where Molly went in that moment, but we know, which prepares us for the kind of expectations Molly has for this party and and for her interactions with Nick. Here's Tanner welcoming them with open arms. Nico Haraga decided to wear his overalls backwards, uh, which I think is pretty iconic, and I hope it becomes a thing. So anytime you shoot a party scene, it's a challenge to kind of focus on your lead characters amidst a kind of chaotic environment. But to keep everything feeling real, um, to keep everything moving, there's nothing I hate more than seeing bad pantomime. So we worked very hard on creating the kind of texture of this party. It meant I played a lot of real music loud on set. This is a little added moment we, we put in there so another opportunity for Gigi to pop up out of nowhere I think we shot that at 4am so here we see with the incredible Lizzo track boys we see Miss Vine walk in and we remember Theo actually invited her to this party in class earlier today so he thinks she's coming here for him and he prepares himself for that so this is a is a scene I love very much Victoria Ruesca playing Ryan here she's a new actor. She's actually a professional skateboarder acting for the first time in this film and hopefully not the last. She's wonderful. And this scene was all about showing that she has so much love and kindness, but it's easily misinterpreted as kind of romantic interest. And, uh, we had a lot of fun shooting this because it was, it's the moment Amy's kind of been waiting for. And uh, Victoria's wearing all her own clothes in this because it's just, I couldn't beat with costumes what she naturally kind of rocks. She's just just a perfectly cool chick. On, okay. This dress that Molly's wearing here, I really wanted something that would stand out in this crowd. You know when you're kind of slightly overdressed for a party and that adds to your to your insecurity. She's feeling a bit of that. But here's Nick just welcoming her so warmly. He's just so excited to see her, which is not what she expected, but everything that she hoped. So it's like Amy's interaction with Ryan. Molly's having the chance to kind of realize that the people they assume have no connection with them actually really want to connect with them, and it's the girls themselves who've been distancing themselves from their peers. This karaoke moment is one that I also love. I mean, I love every scene, of course, but this one... We told the actors about this day that we shot it. I remember telling Noah Galvin, I hope you know Alanis Morissette because you're about to sing You I Don't Know, and I want you to really belt it. And of course, it took him about 40 minutes to go learn all the, every single word, and then he came and performed this, which was just so great. And that scene, the karaoke is really about, karaoke is a chance for people who are, kind of reside inside their shell to, To break out a little bit which is of course what what amy is is about to do in a way that is really satisfying and while molly's also breaking out she's having fun she's playing beer pong now i'm not good at beer pong so this was a a (laughs) moment where i had to keep saying what are the rules when do you drink it this is because i didn't go to college when you don't go to college you don't learn how to play beer pong so go to college kids or else you won't know And of course, it's very easy to assume that Nick is uh, taking an interest here. Mason Gooding is an incredible actor. He's so kind, and and you don't expect that from such a good-looking dude. (laughs) He's just so warm, which is exactly what we needed for that popular kid who seems to be effortlessly able to connect with every single person in school. I love how George is just never looking at the words, that karaoke person who just... Proves, like really works hard to prove they don't need to look at the words. And Gigi, of course, is supportive as can be. Perfect hype man. And this is a chance to see Amy really coming out of her shell really happy. And this is the first time we've seen her happy away from Molly, which is significant. I, I loved the idea of You, I Don't Know for the karaoke scene because it's 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 a classic karaoke song at this point. But of course, you know, that song came out in 1996. It was on Jagged Little Pill. Alanis herself was this example of a new kind of rock star woman, incredibly passionate and emotional and singular. She's a poet who wasn't afraid to tackle, you know, the issue of like female anger. And she became an icon because she was so different and such a rock star and, you know, Flea is performed on that track it is rock and roll to the till but it's a female vocalist really flexing all of her passion and power and that's what this scene's all about and of course caitlyn Deaver's a great singer so she had no trouble with it it turns out that's actually her go-to karaoke song which was lucky So we wanted to show that, you know, of course, Molly is fun. She's fun. We've seen her fun with Amy, but we've never seen her be able to relax with anyone else. So here she is relaxing with Nick in a really kind of easygoing, organic way. And it's it's just a delight to see her be able to, to show that side of her to someone other than her closest friend. This flirtation is one that I adore because it's so specific to these two. You know... Molly is actually someone who is eager to connect and finds ways to do so with really smart jokes, but we reveal a bit of her kind of physical insecurity there. And then Nick reveals that he is a Potterhead, and uh, this is something that is is very specific to Katie Silberman and Beanie Feldstein, two Potterheads, really passionate about picking the house of Potter uh, that Beanie's character Molly would be a part of. I was not aficionado, a potter head myself, so I relied on them to tell me exactly whether she should be a Slytherin. It was was really funny. So this is a big tonal shift in the story that's happening here. We've reached a point where they've ostensibly sort of achieve their goal that we've set up from the beginning of the film. They're here. They're having fun. They're connecting with exactly the people they wanted to connect with. So what happens now? Now it's kind of a different chapter of the journey. Amy is following Ryan into the abyss. She's ready to take a leap, literally into the pool, and she's going to shed her skin and fly. This is Perfume Genius playing here, Slip Away. This was a really exciting discovery when I, I realized that Slip Away was the perfect song for the sequence. I was uh, editing the scene and put on Slip Away just to kind of get a little bit of inspiration. I put on this whole album, which is called No Shape, and I realized that it was syncing up kind of magically. And I turned the music way up and I muted the production track and suddenly, it was as though we had shot this to the music, and I got full chills and became really emotional. It's one of those magical moments that happens sometimes in an edit room, but here you can see that the music is adding so much dimension to the scene. That's such an emotional moment for Amy. It's transformative. Caitlin Deaver is somehow able to act underwater, which I'll, I'll never quite understand, but she's that, she's that good. The idea in the Color Correct was to allow this to feel like flying. It's supposed to feel ethereal. She's, she's unburdened completely and she's comfortable. That smile shows that she's happy. She's happy on her own. It's not just about finding her love interest. It's about feeling her, her sense of self. She's liberated. And then she decides to take that confidence towards Ryan, so she has to find her now. She's looking everywhere. And what she finds is the worst possible discovery, which is that Ryan is not only with someone else, but it's with a dude which is uncomfortable because she's kind of been questioning whether Ryan would be into her as a woman. And then it's not only any dude, it's Nick who she knows her best friend is pining after. And it just means the end of of this high point they have no longer achieved their goal. The goal has shifted. This was a... That's a shot I love so much. And this score, Dan the Automator really, really nailed it. We worked very hard on creating this kind of soundscape that would reflect how disjointed Amy's emotions feel at this moment. She's really trying hard to get out of there suddenly this environment which previously you know moments before felt so exciting and welcoming now has kind of a sinister quality the water looks colder the the people seem further away it's it's all um, menacing and she wants to find molly and get out that's a stitch right there that's the only stitch in this sequence the um Steadicam operator Chris Harhoff was able to continue the sequence from that point of that dress wipe throughout the end of the scene, which is not easy to do, and it's a testament to his talent, as well as the entire crew's and the performers. I wanted to create that feeling of searching for your your safe space, which is, of course, your best friend. I wanted to stay with Amy in this moment so we'd feel the building anxiety, and we ourselves would be yearning to find Molly. This house afforded us the opportunity to really create this um, kind of maze. And right there, right when things are becoming kind of unbearable, she finally finds her. But of course, Molly has no idea why Amy's in this emotional state, and this leads to their greatest conflict. So we're still in the same shot, which meant Beanie's actually been waiting for Amy, for Caitlin to approach. She's been waiting to... um, interact and to create this scene, which I always find interesting as an actor, when cameras are rolling, but you're not on camera for a few minutes, and it allows you to really get your head into into gear, which has something to do with how brilliant Beanie is in this scene, as is Caitlin. They are extraordinary in this sequence. It is a very difficult scene. And they were able to do it in one shot. This is their second take, which is pretty mind-blowing. I wanted to keep this in one so that we'd have the chance to see them listening. You know, oftentimes when, when you see arguments on film, you're only seeing the person uh, speaking. And and what we know is that when, when someone receives painful information, their reaction is spontaneous and unpredictable and really fascinating. So I wanted to make sure we didn't lose track of the experience of the characters hearing this very very thorny um uncomfortable information they they don't often argue in this way it's 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 a kind of existential crisis and they're not alone there's people watching and recording which is what you see happening in the back slowly as the camera is being lifted and that's actually not an effect that's the the real iphone flash uh light on on the iphone the prop iphones which we knew would bloom in this really beautiful way with these Cook lenses and I'm taking a gap I'm really happy that we were able to achieve that because it intensifies the discomfort of the argument January It's such an intimate moment that they're sharing with people they don't really know now we're not graduate together we're not go on a post college trip together So at this point we made a decision to drop the dialogue out because the emotions are running so high that the words don't matter as much at this point they've lost control and we all know that feeling of being in an argument you've lost um handle of and it's it's just become it's become too overwhelming you don't even know what you're saying anymore you're just trying to survive you're trying to win and you don't even know why and you just want it to end and they're they're hurting each other in a way that's hurting themselves and i i wanted everyone to project their worst painful argument onto this moment and to bring up the the score, which was something we worked very, very hard on. And of course, suddenly the sound sucks back in. They realize they're not alone and that there's nothing more to be said and we can feel the regret on Molly's heart there. I mean, just another example of Beanie's beautiful acting. So there's a moment where Amy thinks she's alone. She's found a place to go and cry. She's held it in successfully until this moment. But, of course, she's not alone. The worst possible person is there, Hope, the Hope, the, the who we think is just the mean girl from school who couldn't be less sympathetic. She's in this. Uh, it's as though Amy's gone, gone to hide in what she thinks is an empty cage, and it's actually a, a, a lion's cage, and now she has to kind of survive up against this really, really tough adversary who then becomes an ally. So this is a scene that was really, um, really well written and really exciting for these actresses to play with, because it's it's multidimensional. It's, it's layered there. There's a lot of subtext. They're dancing around something. They, They feel a lot of energy between them. They don't really know what it is. But Hope challenges Amy on purpose. Hope wants more from Amy. Hope sees Amy's fire and she feels it's being kind of dulled by, by Amy's relationship to Molly. And here's Amy kind of defending herself. And we see that Hope is nudging her to break out and to, to kind of show her teeth a bit. We made the choice to lose some dialogue here because we found those looks to kind of say more than any words ever could and then of course the surprise kiss which at first you don't know if hope receives in a positive way and then of course that little laugh that iconic kind of cool girl laugh lets Amy know she can go back in for another one. This is another perfume genius song. It's so good. We used a lot of kind of mixture of source and score, sound quality in the film. I wanted it to feel organically sourced from the environment, but also a little bit thicker, a little bigger to to make the the scenes feel supported by by kind of anthems, anthems that let you know that there's significance to these moments. These songs will always bring back the emotional kind of lessons from these scenes. And here's a moment where there's a connection between two characters who we at first thought had nothing in common. And then of course, Jared is the one who teaches Molly about empathy. This was something we had to shoot quickly because of our schedule and I mean, they nailed this. This was something I gave them each two takes for. and. They didn't need any more than that because they knew exactly what they were doing. And I think there's some really delicate, just brilliant pivots and moves and choices made here by, by each of them. It's an intimate scene that's still a kind of a, a chance to see how they're reacting individually while connecting. It's just so good. They're just so good. Lit by that fire. We get the sense that there might be some chemistry here, um, but we knew we didn't want to be heavy-handed with sentimentality, ever. We learn that Jared has so much more to offer than we originally expect from him. He's truly the most kind of loyal and empathetic character in the film. It only makes Molly feel more lonely that she's lost her best friend at that point, who we see is having this kind of transformative experience. So here's Diana Silvers and Caitlin Deaver shooting what I wanted to be an incredibly realistic, intimate scene. I wanted to finally show what kind of, how clumsy and funny and odd sex can be, particularly in the kind of in in adolescence when they're still, everything feels like it's for the first time and in fact is. So it was about allowing for the space between the characters. You know, oftentimes you'll see in films people just kissing constantly through a scene. And I thought it's all about the space between the clumsiness of taking off shoes, taking off jeans. It's not posed, it's not contrived, it's not for anyone's enjoyment except theirs. This is Cautious Clay, Cold War. It's just a beautiful and really sexy, moody song. That shot there of the underwear coming over the knees, I I really wanted that in there to show that you can be incredibly provocative and sexy without showing nudity. There's no reason to show nudity when you can suggest it. It's like, you know, the scariest parts of Jaws are when you don't see the shark. And I think that applies to, to love scenes in many cases. That look right there from Diana is just an example of how kind of just beautifully powerful she can be, just this kind of steadiness and confidence in her gaze that is indicative of the kind of like the ultimate crush. And they're really connecting and it's, it's kind of clumsy and, and hope is, is kind of bringing Caitlin, Amy along on this journey and uh, just when it's going well, just when it's going well there's this sort of faux pas on behalf of Amy that she's mortified by but we know we don't want her to freak out too much but she does You know, and this is something, in in shooting a scene like this, it's a director's job to make everyone feel really safe. And I was honored to have the opportunity to create a real close set for these young women and for these actors to feel totally relaxed. So that meant truly limiting the amount of crew members involved. And uh, it was just me, the DP, who was operating handheld here, and a focus puller and a sound person. And I believe that was it. So she, of course, takes a sip of a drink that has a cigarette in it. It causes her to throw up all over Hope, and she's mortified. The reason we kind of needed things to go badly here is because we had to really isolate Amy and bring her to her lowest point so she could find her personal, individual courage. We see her go from being with Molly to being with Ryan to being with Hope. And now, finally, she's alone, which is, of course, where she'll find her real strength, as we all do. This is a scene we shot at, you know, 5 a.m., of course, and I asked these two to show a kind of an intimacy that felt sweet, because there's nothing worse than seeing the object of your desire not only intimate with someone else, but in a kind of uh, a sweet and innocent way that just feels almost more crushing than something purely sexual. This song uh, is beautiful. This is Rye singing open another just perfect needle drop i'm really grateful to our music supervisor brian lang for making sure that we had all this incredible music on the soundtrack so when we were planning this i really didn't want the cops moment to be something that kind of took away from the experience of the young characters we've obviously seen many movies that have the the cops breaking up the party and we, we made the decision to kind of not focus on the story of the cops themselves as characters but to just have it be a device that creates a need for amy to really come through and show her courage all right focus up wait for my signal i'm gonna create a diversion caitlin deaver has this ability to be incredibly funny in subtle ways she knows how to use her face her body her voice without ever feeling Like, she's lost track of the kind of the emotional roots of her character. The same goes for Beanie Feldstein. This is a scene that's emotional, but they don't ever feel that you've left the world of their movie. This, of course, is LCD Sound System, Oh Baby, a track that we were very lucky to get for this sequence. I sent this to James Murphy and said, I need you, I need this song. It's my dream to have this song in this movie. And, And he very, very kindly agreed. So here we are on a bridge at 4 a.m., and Beanie Feldstein and Molly Gordon able to evoke such kind of subtle and beautiful emotion. And, you know, we wanted to create a situation where these two are forced to be in the same space and forced to connect, which allows them to realize that there's not actually that much space between them. why people say I gave guys roadside assistance, right? Triple A is one of the more important characters in this film because what she shows to us is that, you know, this isn't a story just about, you know, judgment and women proving their power, women being strong and funny and brilliant and complicated. It's also about the relationship between women and how women need to support one another and not participate in the kind of pulling down of each other, which is all said in this very beautiful line where she says... I knew the guys would say stupid shit, I didn't think the girls would too. It's it's, that that line is so important to this film and it allows Molly to realize that she's been so unfair and kind of labeling AAA and slut-shaming her. And it's crushing for Molly to realize that she's guilty of that, but it's transformative. She knows in this moment okay. she won't be that judgmental person ever again. And Dick Splinter would say stupid A is also learning that Molly is a vulnerable, human, flawed person. And she, of course, has a personality. She, of course, is, is nuanced. But it took this experience to kind of allow them to see it. So these two, again, they're best friends in real life. Here they are, brilliant actresses working together for the first time on a soundstage uh, and just nailing it. Again, we always wanted to undercut sentimentality with a joke. It was important to us that we never veered too far into the lane of sweetness. This ending here, that's something that came from Molly Gordon's audition. The where the fuck do you live was something that it just made me laugh so hard because why do people in movies magically know where they're going? There's never that awkward moment of like, what street? Should we map it? Okay, so hail to the chief. <laughs> Hail to the chief as Molly's ringtone was a sort of a last-minute decision that really made us laugh in the sound mix. And I'm happy it's in there. It's like, of course this is her ringtone. She wants to be on the Supreme Court. This is the kind of person she is. It's her alarm, it's her ringtone, it's her text tone. It's it's the music she wants to live by. The fun little Easter eggs in there of our entire post-production staff named in texts. That take no prisoners, prisoners sign is actually decal on the wall. It looks like a graphic, but it's it's actually something we t- pasted up there last minute. So that shotgun, just kidding, I don't have one. That's a Katie Soberman line that I hope will go down in history as one of the best moments in Booksmart, because it certainly is one of my favorites. And here we reveal this fun little twist that the pizza guy is actually uh, um, a wanted criminal which allows for a trade to be made and then frees Amy early from this kind of local jail and this was a scene that you know we loved so much because it was really a chance for them to to make up in a kind of strange environment we wanted them to have a chance to reconnect but in an unexpected place and to show that best friends, even in the most bizarre and dire circumstances, will find a way to make jokes and, and connect to each other. But in this case, I have so much to be sorry for. I was so selfish. I, I was being a coward. You called Malala. I lied. Molly is able to be this kind of apologetic and positive at this moment because she knows she has a plan in her back pocket. Amy is a little bit more sort of discouraged at this point. She she just assumes they're not going to graduation The plan didn't all work out, but Molly knows what they're going to do. I'm sorry. I'm so controlling. I just can't imagine my life without you. So this is actually, it's it's a real jail in Glendale that's not used anymore, but you can shoot there. So we had several different ideas of how to get Amy out of jail. And when I called Katie Silberman and said, what if they trade information about the Valley Strangler, who happens to be Pizza Pat? And she said, what is this, a Christopher Nolan movie? (laughs) I was like, let's just try it. And we went for it. And I'm just so happy that audiences embraced it, because I think it's really funny. Mike O'Brien has that wanted poster framed in his house now, which makes me happy. 19 minutes, we're doing it in seven. Typical Molly. So we have DJ Shadow and Run the Jewels here. Kind of a perfect soundtrack to a pretty high-octane, muscular car chase sequence that involved using the team from Fast and the Furious because I really wanted to achieve as realistic car-fast stunt driving as we possibly could to intercut with these moments these little vignettes of graduation which are, are moments to kind of tie up the journey of each character this is very much an ensemble piece and so we wanted them each to have a moment to kind of acknowledge what they've learned or what's happened to them on this one crazy night <laughs> it's jessica williams doing her little really really works well So here, you know, all questions are answered as to what happened between Theo and Miss Fine. But she's still a teacher. He may be 20 and legal, but she's she's a little too too responsible to allow it to go any further. And this amazing Molly Gordon performance. <laughs> So this, in terms of editing this sequence, we really wanted to make sure we cut between the chaos of this driving, which really was chaotic. I mean, the girls didn't know what they were in for when we pulled them on this rig, going incredibly fast, whipping around the valley. They just held on for dear life, and they just had never experienced anything like it. I, as an actor, have always really loved any st- stunt performance opportunities and to be inside a real stunt car that's being whipped around is it's like a roller coaster but it's something that is also pretty stressful if you're not totally ready for it in- skylar Gisondo just nailing this scene with jason i want them to do more movies together skylar reminds me of a young jason bateman he is just extraordinary and this scene just really really makes me laugh so we put the camera on kind of everyone in the ensemble. We 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 had cameras on them in the audience during this sequence, and and Noah Galvin and Austin Crew just kept giving us so much great improvised moments, so many great moments that we just ended up using them a lot. And they're like this. <laughs> Good morning. I'm Molly Davidson. So the idea of you know this is how awesome Jared is is that he's actually willing to give Molly's kind of hardcore feminist manifesto speech at graduation I am a woman. on her behalf. I am a powerful woman, and I'm ready to take the fists of my femininity to the status quo. Straight white man, your time is over. I love the the environment of the valley, the San Fernando Valley, with those crazy mountains in the background. I was, like, really excited to be able to show that. And, of course, this stunt driving was a blast. I wanted it to be just as disruptive as possible. That these girls, this is the last thing you would expect from these characters, that at the end of the movie, they'd be smashing through a fence and and driving at 80 miles an hour to, to show up at a graduation after breaking out of jail. I mean, this is as kind of exciting and iconic as it gets. This moment of them holding hands and Molly celebrating Amy is so loving. She's excited to have brought her here. She would never have graduated without Amy by her side. But of course, Molly's valedictorian, and this is her moment. And as she takes the stage, We see her kiss Jared, which is a moment, you know, we want it in there. It's not about finding a boy, but she's at this level of confidence now where, yeah, why not? Kiss Jared. You know you want to. It's not your whole story, but it's a footnote that that you are very much worthy of. And of course, (laughs) this look on Jared's face is just a very happy puppy. So I wanted to create a kind of golden hour warmth to this scene, which means, you know, in reality, this entire graduation takes place at a very long golden afternoon, but it of course was uh, uh, just a beautiful, beautiful, um, I mean, I just, I'm so taken by it because our entire crew worked so hard to make sure that we captured this graduation in a way that would feel, Worthy of the journey that the girls have been on up until this point. It was great. I love this moment. This is score that we worked very hard on, that Dan the Automator and I and the entire team worked really hard to create a kind of a subtlety. It's actually the theme you heard during their fight, simplified and now brought back in in a very different moment between them. Essentially, this is a breakup scene. Molly is saying to Amy, it was perfect, but it's done. And when Katie Silberman and I just realized that it was a breakup scene, remember we both burst out crying, realizing, wait, that's what this movie's about. It's about the, sometimes we have to leave the people we love in order to grow. But again, we had to undercut it. There's a bit of sentimentality and love and warmth and heart to this scene, but we had to undercut it with jokes because that's what we do. Now, these guys improvised the scene, which you hear uh, at the end of the credits. You can hear them singing the rest of that Crockett song. They also sang Seasons of Love from Rent, but we couldn't afford it. (laughs) And here, of course, we bring back Ling Ling. Just to mortify you a little bit. And this was a great chance for Lisa Kudrow to play, and it was just wonderful to see the girls with her in this moment. She was just delighting all of us so much. And then Will Forte, of course, as well. Now, this moment, when Beanie knocks Ling Ling out of his hands, she actually hit Will very hard in this moment. And it's amazing that none of them broke. It's a testament to their sheer brilliance because she actually whacked him really hard. (laughs) And they all just held it in. Why is she here? So this is when we realize... Amy never told Molly what happened with Hope and it's like there hasn't been time there hasn't been time to fill around on everything that happened last night this walk that Caitlin has here is just incredible to me just trying to be confident cool girl it's just hilarious and then we get to see Hope kind of embodying what is classically I think known in these films typically to be like the cool guy lean but of course in our movie it's, it's the cool girl lean Molly putting together what happened based on body language. How, how, are, 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 you, are you? okay? I love the performances in this scene. There's so much subtext. They're acknowledging what happened without trying to make a big deal out of it. Amy couldn't be more thrilled that Hope is here, but she's not quite sure what Hope wants from her, and she's trying to focus, even though Molly is making it very difficult because the window is directly behind Hope. And then this moment, you kind of know what you're doing. That moment, her eyebrows raised, where he brought in the, the score here because it's just victory for Amy. Uh, that's cool. She assumed it had been devastating. She would never see Hope again. Then, of course, your, your... she can barely look at her now because she just wants to scream with happiness. What are, what are you doing Hope is that cool person who just never goes out of her way to make you feel comfortable. But just because of that is is the pinnacle of cool. And then they realize they have this in common. They both want to adventure. They both just want to break out and find themselves. And we think, wait a minute, there might be a future between these two. I love this shot of her handing her the phone number. It really makes me happy, just that little moment there. And then the love, the joy, the excitement Molly has for her friend. And then here we brought in something that's kind of a motif for Amy that she, every every time everything's going kind of well, she does something to ruin it, and the score drops out there, (laughs) which we loved. And then that's Hope's kind of cowboy walk away, which is iconic in itself. This is Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zero's one love, One which brings us through the airport scene, which is uh, just a moment for the girls to acknowledge that they have to say goodbye. We know it's coming. Everyone has that feeling when you're approaching the airport. You know the goodbye is imminent. You try to, to, to deny that, but you know you'll have to eventually separate. And it's just so beautifully performed by these two the silence, the nervous laughter. This was shot in the valley at a flyaway. It's a fake airport. I'm really proud of how we made it look like a real airport. It's not quite a huge LAX airport, but you really feel that they're at a real airport. Excellent work by our AD team. Okay. Bye. We had to shoot this very quickly because the sun was going down and the girls were able to stay so focused but we really wanted to achieve that nervousness that we understand it's all about pushing down the emotion. The the audience doesn't want them to say goodbye either. Oh, gotta get that bag, yep. Got it, sister. Gotta get that bag is one of our favorite lines. Just saying anything but the thing you really feel. So this is Licky Lee covering Unchained Melody. And I really wanted a, a, a love song because it's a love story. And You know, in some ways, it's just heavy handed enough to make you feel kind of a uh, uh, (laughs) kind of laugh at how overwhelming their love for each other is. But you do connect to it. You know that we've all felt that kind of longing for that friend who knows us so well, better than anyone. Amy looks around just too late. Molly has just left. And she thinks, oh, she didn't wait. She didn't wait for a last goodbye. And I let her leave frame here so we would really feel that was the end of Amy and our story, and we're left with Molly alone as we started the film. But she's back. So this was an idea that the girls had, that she would actually hit her with her car. And I loved it so much. Through a whole fucking thing. What the fuck? (laughs) I can be the last one on the plane. What's wrong with you? (laughs) Want to get pancakes? Fuck yeah, I do. Fuck yeah. There we go. So that ending, I really love that ending. I just wanted to smash cut out of there and leave you with the hope that they hung out for a little longer before Amy had to leave. These are water balloon shots that we captured. It's the last thing we ever shot of the film. It's uh, 2,000 frames per second water balloon hits that allowed everyone in the cast to experience the feeling that b had already had when she got hit with that water balloon. And it's really really funny to see all of them and how they react of course at the end they got me and our cinematographer Jason McCormick so we got a taste of our own medicine there I will say, looking at the names of all these crew members, it's really kind of incredible to see that this was a group effort of so many brilliant people. It takes so many people to make a movie happen. Here's Allison Jones, the world's greatest casting director. Beanie and Caitlin couldn't have been a better casting choice. Jessica, everybody in this cast, and I'm kind of overwhelmed with gratitude at everyone who came together to make this movie happen. These are real Polaroids taken on the set of the film that, you know, we just really had a good time. And you can kind of tell this little peek behind the scenes is evidence of how much fun we had. And Watching this just makes me even more excited to make another movie. There's nothing more fun than directing. And it's just I'm the luckiest person in the world. So I can't wait to do it again. Crockets, crock it, put it in your pocket. Crockets, 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 crockets. Cro- crocket.